As most of you know, we started last Sunday, the first of the year, on the 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul. Such a great writer, a great writer. And as we mentioned last week, the books that he wrote that are recorded in the New Testament are not chronically or chronologically placed. And uh, what I'd like to do is to look at his epistles, which is none other than letters. He wrote letters. He established churches. He stayed there for quite some time, and then he would leave and write letters back to them. Some of the churches he wrote letters to he never had visited up to that time. But I have in the foyer a uh, scriptural chronological outline of Paul's epistles, also the historical setting. And what I would encourage you to do this year, 2016, being that we are studying this scripture, is to read it. There are benefits to reading it and studying it chronologically. First uh, book that he wrote, in fact, I understand probably the first book written in the New Testament was first was first Thessalonians. So feel free to pick up a copy in the foyer at the Welcome Center and you could fold that, put it in your Bible and study it this year. Read it this year. Read read it with several translations. That's what I'm doing. And uh, I'm enjoying that. <clears throat> And also, as you read it, you'll find a corresponding scripture in the book of Acts, the historical setting for that specific letter. It's a great read, so we, again, encourage you to do that. What I'm going to do this morning is to read chapter 1, and if you will allow me, I would like to have read it several times translations, but I'd like to read this with the message. Eugene Peterson puts it so well, and uh, it's very short. The chapter is very short, just 10 verses. So if you will follow along with me with the message. I, Paul, together with Silas and Timothy, send greetings to the church at Thessalonica. Christians assembled by God, assembled by who? By God the Father and by who? The Master, Jesus Christ. God's amazing grace be with you. God's robust peace. Then you'll notice the convictions, how that they were convicted. In fact, Eugene Peterson says they had convictions of steel. And And the scripture says every time we think of you, Paul said, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers as we call to mind your, notice the triology that he uses here, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in following our master, Jesus Christ, before God our Father. 
He goes on to say, it is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand on you for something special. I read that this week, and I read that this week, and I read it this week, and I thought about last Sunday as I told this congregation how that I believe, at the end of the service, I said this, how that I believe that God had laid his hand on several people for something special. And I still believe that. I believe it very strong. That there are specific people here that was here last Sunday and here today that God is like the church at Thessalonica and that congregation. God is laying his hands upon you for the year of 2016 for, as it says here, something special. When the message we preached came to you, it wasn't, I love this, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. And that's my prayer for the year of 2016. That not only here in this church on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. By the way, let me mention something to you that's very important. Not that this isn't. Wednesday night is a great time for study. I don't know when I've heard a better teaching than Dan Saldana did this past Wednesday night. And he is teaching some great stuff. And I understand James will be teaching uh, this coming Wednesday night. Just take out one hour during the midweek. Set aside that time. For some, it will be a sacrifice. But it will be a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. And I believe that would be beneficial to you. So Wednesday night is a great time to come and hear. Break up that week. Let the wheels of commerce for you and I stop for at least one hour and enjoy the teachings of the word. Amen? Amen. And so we find here that no matter whether it's Sunday morning, no matter whether it's Wednesday, or no matter when it is, whether you're witnessing at the grocery store or whenever the opportunity presents itself that we tell about Jesus Christ, that there will be a conviction, a conviction, mind you, of steel that will seize people's hearts. God grant that. God grant that. That is our That is our daily prayer. Verse 5, you paid careful attention to the way we lived among you and determined to live that way yourselves. (laughs) In imitating us, you imitated the master. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit. Taking the trouble with the joy, the joy with the trouble. You've done that before? Absolutely. Taking the joy with the trouble, and yes, at times, trouble with the joy. Verse 10, of 7 rather. Do you know that all over the province of both Macedonia and Achaia, believers look up to you? The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word. Your lives are echoing the master's Ask yourself, is your life, no matter where you are, if you're in school, no matter if you're at work, 
no matter where you are, is your and my life echoing, certainly, God's word. Not only in the, the news. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. People come up and tell us how you received us with open arms, how you deserted the dead idols of your old life. He should have left that out because we don't do that anymore. We, we tend to skip over that kind of thing. No. How many of you know it's important that we forsake our idols? Now, when I was in India, they had millions of idols. They had all kind of beautiful buildings built to these idols. Now, we may not have that, but make no mistake. America and Americans and the United States is filled with idols. You deserted the dead idols of your old life so you could embrace and serve God, the true God. You can't embrace and serve God, the true God, without first of all getting rid of those idols. You got to get rid of them. They marvel, the people that hear about you, marvel at how it Expectantly, you await the arrival of his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. Allow me, if you will, this is very short, to read the introduction that Eugene Peterson's write, Peterson writes before he writes about 1 Thessalonians. And some of this is in your, uh, in your notes in the introduction. But I'm going to read it and you'll find it here. He says, the way we conceive the future sculpts the present, gives contour and tone to nearly every action and thought through the day. I read that and I was just goo-goo-eyed over it. I just said, my, isn't that a true and powerful statement. The way we conceive the future sculpts the present, gives contour and tone to nearly, to nearly every action and thought through the day. If our sense of future is weak, we live listlessly. Much emotional and mental illness and most suicides occur among men and women who feel that they have no future. And much of the Apostle Paul's writing to the church there in Thessalonica and the people, the Thessalonian people, was about the future. And that's one reason I wanted to start off with this is because it gives hope. In fact, I wanted to title this, and I did, A Message of hope. Would you believe or would you say that in the year of 2016, America needs hope? The church needs hope. Families need hope. And we find that this is what he's saying. The Christian faith has always been characterized by a strong and focused sense of future. With the Belief in the second coming of Jesus as the most distinctive detail. And we're going to be looking at that. It is important that we look at the coming of Jesus Christ. 
From the day Jesus ascended into heaven, his followers lived in expectancy of his return. He told them he was coming back. They believed he was coming back and they continue. The believers, the Christian today continues to believe that he is coming back. For Christians, it is the most important thing to know and believe about the future. I'm talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the future and how that it does give hope. It makes life worth living. When I was a young kid, and that's been a long time ago, many of the songs that we sung, you know, in fact, you'll see them in those hymn books in front of me, which we seldom use, and I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that back then, much of the singing and the preaching was about the future, about the coming of Jesus Christ. When we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. All of those songs and those songwriters, they, they were looking and the early church was really and truly looking for the soon return of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. Somehow, sadly to say, we have lost some of that expectation and some of that belief. But I hope during this time we can sort of get another glimpse or a deeper understanding of the soon return of Christ. When we lose that, we have no hope. But Jesus is coming again. Can you say amen? He's coming again. Now, I want to I look at the time of the Apostle Paul's writing. We read from the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. And keep in mind, this is the historical setting for 1 Thessalonians, or both, first and, well, at least 1 Thessalonians. The, 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 what was happening to the Apostle Paul? Now, most of you know that Paul, and I talked about his great conversion last Sunday and how that he on his way to Damascus, accepted Jesus Christ and how that he was prayed for. And after that, he was blinded and then he could see. And then he went at least three years to the desert of Arabia. And there, God gave him special insight and special revelation. And he was able to write these 13 books under the inspiration, certainly of God and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. But he, he, he stayed there in Damascus. Then he went uh, to Antioch. And from there he goes. And there were other smaller places. But there he goes to Philippi. And there he was mistreated. He was put in jail along with Silas. And you know the story how God delivered them out of uh, the uh, Philippian jail. And, and now he his He's dreaming and he, he has a vision. Follow me. Stay with me. Paul has a vision and he sees a man that says to him, come over to Macedonia. There was a call that we sing a song or did sing a song. We have heard the Macedonia call today. 
And we need to hear a call from God, whether it's Macedonia or down the street or to Raleigh or in the schoolhouse or whether it's at our place of work. No matter where we are, we need to hear that Macedonia call today. So Paul leaves there, Philippi, and he uh, goes to Macedonia. And here he is. He winds up at Thessalonica. Notice in Acts chapter 17, it gives a brief story or outline of what happened. Again, read with me verses 1 through 9. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. What's a synagogue? It's a church. He just simply went to church. A synagogue. Of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths, through three Sundays, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them, notice what happened after this great preaching. <clears throat> some were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks. And not a few of the leading women. There's a story behind that leading women that accepted that message joined Paul and Silas. Great story. You're, read all of that and, and read the commentaries on it. There, verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace And gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So Paul and Silas was there. The religious leaders stir up some evil men and there's this mob that they gather at Jason's house. And they're looking for Paul and Silas, but Paul and Silas is not there. So notice what they did. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason was, has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. Now they're lying. Let me tell you what people will do today in the world. They don't like you. They don't like your gospel. They don't like your stand. If they did it to the green tree, they'll do it to the dry tree, the gospels tells us. And they won't like you. You know what they'll do? They will lie on you. They will tell lies on you. If the agnostics, if the atheists, if those that were against Christianity, and there are many, if they would tell the truth, it would stand. And we would be loved. But when they tell lies and a half truth, then the people want to take prayer out of the schools. Then they want to take Bible reading out of the schools. Then they want to take the Ten Commandments, out of the courthouses. Because why? Because people are lying about Christianity. Amen? And this is what they were doing here. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. 
So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The church of Thessalonica was born out of the throes of persecution. And that's what Paul is talking about. And these people were tremendously troubled. I'm talking about the church. And Paul was not there long. He had to leave. They run him out of town. You know where he goes? He goes to Berea. Now, many of you college, I mean, many of you Bible scholars knows all of, know all about Berea. Were they there? They studied the word of God. They searched the scriptures and they learned and they were well learned in the scripture. They studied that. And so Paul and Silas leave Thessalonians or Thessalonica. They go over to Berea and they start preaching the word of God and people start receiving the Lord. People start turning to the Lord. They start studying the scriptures and they're turned on to God and there's a revival at Berea. Guess what happens? The people back in Thessalonica, those same people that stirred up the crowd, they go to Berea. You know how far Berea is from Thessalonica? It's 47 miles. They were driving Thunderbird Ford. They're, they were walking. You know how long it takes to walk 47 miles? Three days. These people were so angry. They were so against the word of God and they hated the Apostle Paul so much until they left where they were, walked 47 miles to stir up the congregation and the people there in Berea, and the very same thing happened. Let me tell you something. The enemy of God will go out of the way to try to destroy you. Doesn't matter what it costs. Doesn't matter what they have to do. They will do everything, and what, what's their goal? It's to stop the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will happen here. I love what Christie said a while ago. How that we need to break down these walls. We need to remove the forces that try to hinder. Because it will happen right in the church. You'll go to church Sunday morning and something will happen on the way. The devil goes out of his way to stop you and I from hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even put you to sleep. The devil's never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping saint. He'll put you in idols. Whatever he has to do. And so what they did, they left one place, went to another, three days walk, and stirred up the people in Berea. We're living in a time like this. And the same tactics and the same power as we read this, did you hear what Paul was talking about? How did you receive the word of God in power? We don't need someone to tickle our ears and preach a fancy sermon to us and have a sermonette. We need to hear the word of God preached with the power of God. Amen? A modern day evangelist slammed it. He said, whenever the apostle visited city, the residents started a riot. But when I visit the city, they serve tea. And that's about the way it is. How long has it been since we started a riot? 
How long has it been since someone got angry at us because we stood on the word of God? And we didn't, we didn't compromise. We, you, you see, people don't like that. But everywhere Paul went, someone was, a, was trying to start, if they didn't start, a riot. Stirred up the people, lied on him. And eventually killed him, or had him killed. Let me, let me quickly, I, I wanted to, to bring us up the speed to where, what was happening during the writing and, and what, what was going on uh, during this particular time. I want you to notice, first of all, we had the time of his writing in Paul's day. Look at it. Thessalonica was a major port and an important commercial city. Paul went to the synagogue and reasoned with them from Scripture. Some were persuaded, and a great multitude of Greeks and many leading women followed Paul. Paul's time was cut short by a fast-rising tide of persecution. We just explained all that. Knowing the difficulties facing the church, Paul sent Timothy to check on them. So Paul left, and he left a young congregation. He left a dedicated congregation. He left a young church that was on fire, and he loved them. If there's, listen to this, listen to this. If there's anything we get out of Paul's writing to these churches is that he loved them dearly, and he wanted to be with them. He wanted to be with them. And that's not too bad, is it? It's not too bad for the pastor to want to be with the people. I mean, let the last song finish and, and he walks in with all the music and walks to the platform and he preaches his sermon. Then he closes his Bible. He walks out the door and goes somewhere. Paul didn't want to do that. Paul says, I want to be with you. There wasn't a congregation that he started that he did not want to be with and love and pray. He said, I constantly pray for you. It's time that we stop being aloof from everybody else. He's talking about three things here. The trio of faith, love, and hope. First, there's the active faith shown. In a full persuasion of the truth of the gospel. You see, faith, if you have faith, it's going to be expressed in action, in doing. It's going to be expressed. How did they express it? First of all, they expressed it in enduring suffering. They didn't allow what was happening, the persecution. They didn't allow what they did to Jason. They took him out, drug him out, beat him up. He had to pay bail to get out of prison. They didn't let the suffering do that. And not only did they endure the suffering, but they testified of their experience. There were many that didn't want to hear it, but they told about it, told about it, told about it. I'm not talking about being offensive to the world. But I'm talking about the church that has such an experience that we've got to tell somebody about Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Second of all, steadfast adherence in the midst of trials. And then the great change which it had already wrought in their life and character. They were a testimony wherever they went. In fact, listen to this. Paul said... Your testimony has reached all through Macedonia. 
But it went farther than Europe. It went everywhere. People heard about their life and their dedication and their commitment and their character. God helped Bethel to get out side of the four walls and let people hear about our testimony and what God has done for us and our life and our prayers and our dedication to God and no matter the cost, go through the suffering. Not only was the actual faith shown in all of these things, but there, second of all, was the laborious love implying great care for the temporal and spiritual well-being of others. Others. We went to a restaurant last night and I, I walked out and got into the car and cranked it up. And I looked in front of me as the lights came on. And there was a bumper sticker. <clears throat> and it said, my horse gets pampered more than my husband. I laughed. They probably printed that bumper sticker up in tongue in cheek. But I'm here to tell you today that Satan has hijacked our love and our affection. Now, don't you get mad at me. You better not love your horse better than you love your husband. Brother Don, I don't even have a horse. Well, we got some things. And whether it's sports, whether it's things, you name it. Do I care for others like I care for my house and my car and my job? Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Colossians. Colossae. He said, since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love which you have to all the saints. When I walk out that door, do I forget about Joe that sits in the seat next to me? This church is a wonderful church. And I'm here to testify to the fact it is not only a wonderful church, it shows love. My wife and I have sensed so much love this past year. It's energizing. It is refreshing. And it is strengthening. But the church, God's people, ought to understand that not only are we called to love God, and have a horizontal relationship. We're called to love other people. A vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. We're called to love people. And he talks about that here. He talks about how much they love. In fact, he goes back. These people, listen to this story. These people were suffering financially. But the church at Jerusalem needed money. And you know what? He went to the very people that had needs and asked for help. And they helped even beyond measure. 
they loved. Not just a faith that gives us strength in this day and hour, but they loved. They had a love, a laborous love. It extended their labor, this love did. Self-denying exertions to promote that well-being, and that was things that they sacrificed to do, to love and bless other people. And then they had patience of hope. I love, I love the word hope because God gives hope. And when you read this, listen, i got to encourage you to read the whole book of 1 Thessalonians this week. Read it. Especially chapter 4. It gives you hope. In this day and hour, we need hope. And we find here, as we look at it, a conviction that Christ will come. That Christ will come. A preparedness for his coming. If you believe he's coming, get ready for his coming. Prepare for his coming. Amen? An expectation of it. When grounded in God, hope provides the motivation to live the Christian life, even in the face of trouble. Why do so many Christians fail and fall and falter today? It's because their hope in the future has been diminished. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what, you know, this world is not my home. I'm so, you know, if we're not careful, we get so comfortable in this world we don't think about yonder how many of us think about heaven much i'm just asking the early church had hope for the future god desires that we live in that hope an earnest desire for it you know the last Chapter and the last, this is interesting, the last verses in the Bible in Revelation. Jesus, it's in red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, it's in red letters. He said, Behold, I come quickly. And then John, the writer of Revelation, says, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Is that our prayer? I read that and I said, God, do I pray that? Do I think that? Do I live that? Even so, come quickly. I'm ending with number three. The result, notice faith. The result of faith is salvation. If you get time this week or in the next few weeks, study the word salvation. It's more than just being saved. It is an all-inclusive word. And look at what, you know, Google it. The word salvation and see what it includes. It's so inclusive. It's so much that God, when we come to him, that he provides for us. But faith leads to salvation. Love, the result of love is service. Someone said it this way. Faith receives and has. Love gives. Faith receives and has. Love gives. What does hope do? It waits. Patiently. Waits. It waits. And then number three, the result of hope is maturity. 
And it's not just sitting around folding our hands and saying, well, i got to wave in. No, it's a, it's a happy, exciting expectation. It is a, an, an exciting waiting. It's like the girl or the boy that's just been introduced to their boyfriend or girlfriend and they're going to go on their first date and they get ready and they get ready and they get ready. They've got their best outfit on. They've got their makeup on, the ladies do. And they're just waiting for that boy to ring that doorbell or knock at the door. It's just a great expectation. Great expectation. Do we live in, in that kind of expectation? The result of faith is salvation. The result of love is service. The, uh, the result, I'm sorry, of hope is maturity, great expectancy. I believe in God to come through his son, Jesus Christ. He's coming.